Shelter in place, lockdowns, a remote world. It would have been hard enough to imagine how last year could have changed things, let alone the speed of the rush to digital in the cloud. The needs of the customer are evolving quicker than some businesses may realize, and they will evolve again. This is IDG's Tamlin McGee, and in this episode of our series with Accenture, Cloud Transformed, I have with me Michelle McGrath, MD at Accenture Interactive, and Mark Curtis, Head of Innovation and Thought Leadership at Accenture Interactive and CCO and founder of Fjord. We'll be talking about the changing nature of the digital customer, cloud consumer trends, and how businesses can begin to meet evolving customer experience needs. Hi, both, and thanks for joining us today. Hi there. Hi. Good to be here. First things first, let's talk about the macro trends over the last year. Whether they know it or not, everyone has been affected by cloud transformation. Can you give us the Accenture view of how it's reshaping the consumer landscape and why we should care? Well, I don't think we can, you know, as you said, it's, it's, we're talking about the last year and we can't talk about the last year without um, talking about the pandemic. And I think, you know, what the cloud has done over the last year is, is actually enabled the response to the pandemic. Because there's been this thing that uh, one of my colleagues rather brilliantly called the reversal of the flow. And what he meant was that the flow of human life for you know millennia has been to go out. You know that's what hunter gatherers did, um, and and, a, and in a more commercial age, you went out to shop and go to the doctor and go to the cinema and restaurants and school and work and everything really. And now over the last year and a half, now it's getting on for, we've had to get used to stuff coming to us. In fact, that's the only way we could function and operate was for stuff to come to us. So that shifted the emphasis massively onto digital as the key enabler. And of course, in the modern age, cloud is the key enabler of digital. So um, it's reshaping the consumer landscape because it is enabling and facilitating uh, a totally different way of doing things. And to a large extent, we're not going to go backwards from what we have now discovered we can do with digital. So obviously the impact has been seismic, uh, but there's a strong argument that all that's happened has accelerated those pre-existing trends, um, as well as this reversal, as you, as you, as you mentioned, um, everywhere, but especially in digital. Michelle, I'm wondering what you're hearing from the CMO side of things. And Mark, if you could elaborate a bit, a bit more on the consumer side of the equation, that'd be great. Yes, of course. Um, so working with the many CMOs, um, so I think there are three key trends that we're really uh, hearing from them that they're having to tackle. I think the first one is just a giant leap in customer expectations. So I think with the pandemic, as you say, I think there's been a massive acceleration of, of sort of pre-existing trends. But what's happened is because people haven't been able to go to shops or they haven't been able to sort of get out and about, um, customers have really had to look to do things very differently. Um, and I think um, this, the, the whole drive towards digitalization, where it was a kind of a nice to have for businesses, it's become an absolute must have. Because if you haven't got an online presence or an online delivery um, uh, access, then many businesses have faltered. And I think, um, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but certainly for me, I mean, Amazon haven't missed a beat. Um, they have delivered everything as I've asked for on time right the way through the pandemic. But we haven't seen that from every business. And I think those businesses that haven't been able to move to that sort of digitalization have, have really faltered. And I think we've seen the likes of Topshop, Debenhams, um, really, really struggle and go under. Um, and one of the things I've, I've been hearing about is the 
Amazonization factor. Um, and this is where sort of everyone's sort of saying, God, we've got to be like Amazon. We've got to um, set new expectations for commerce, for transparency, speed of delivery, um, easy interfaces, responsive customer service. I mean, they've set a pretty high bench. So, so that's one big trend is just this, this real kind of drive for uh, sort of delivering out customer, outstanding customer services and experiences. I think the second one is around a giant leap in complexity of what marketers and CMOs are having um, to deal with and actually broader business. And this is that we're seeing an exponentially um, growing number of channels, platforms, tools um, that are creating huge pressure on marketers to try and orchestrate this seamless customer experience through this very fragmented ecosystem. Um, and driving towards personalization is also a kind of a major trend we're seeing within this, but sort of we've got a lot of data around this, but and 55% of marketers don't feel that they have sufficient customer data to implement effective personalization, uh, which is a, a pretty big challenge. Um, I will come on to talk, I'm sure, more about that. Uh, and the third big trend is the um, changes in the way people are working. Um, so obviously businesses uh, have not been able to go into offices um, and, and uh, how they interact with consumers has completely changed. Um, budgets have shrunk number of people in businesses have shrunk. So they've had to fundamentally change the ways of working. So I think those are three key trends uh, that are, we're seeing our CMOs having to face. Yeah, it's really interesting, Michelle, you mentioned Amazon a couple of times because we did some research the other night and um, just literally a week ago and it was an online um, uh, mixture of qualitative and quantitative. So we, we spoke to about 80 people um, at high speed. It was very interesting. And when we asked them, you know, what brands and services have you really gone for over the last year? Again and again, Amazon and Netflix popped up. Uh, and that's probably unsurprising, but the volume of response on that was extraordinary. I think just looking more broadly at consumers and the, and the consumer side of the equation, um, I don't agree that it's merely accelerated pre-existing trends. I think that when you look at what we've been calling the collective displacement of people, that is new. People have shifted in time and space what they're doing. And that's not something we could have anticipated. It's not an acceleration of previous trends. Their response to it might have accelerated previous trends. But I think what we've seen over the last year in that particular case has been something new. If you think about the fact that we've lost a lot of the rituals that we value so much in life, um, whether that's birthday parties or going to football or weddings or, or sadly funerals, um, you know, that's a very significant shift which we've had to accommodate. And what we're hearing consistently from consumers in the UK and around the world is that they are reevaluating their lives based on what has happened over the last year and a half. And this is strong. And we're talking 50% of consumers are talking in ways which you could describe as reimagining or reinventing who they are. And I think that's very, very important. And I'm guessing that's going to lead to a very difficult to anticipate events happening um, everywhere uh, in, in terms of what, what work's going to look like, uh, job shares, um, four-day work weeks, things, things, things of that nature. Um, I, I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on that kind of disruption and, and displacement of people in the workplace uh, and what it kind of suggests for the future. So 
I think what we're going to enter over the next three years is um, an era of prototyping the future of work. Um, the truth is nobody knows the answer, and there's a great deal of debate going on. I mean, just our view is it's going to be a hybrid workplace, but just a day ago, somebody sent me a link for an article uh, where they were arguing passionately that we're all going to get bored with that very quickly and go back to, um, you know, go back to full-on working in offices. Personally, I don't think that's going to happen. The signals from employees are fairly consistent. Well, they're inconsistent as far as they're doing two things. Everybody is saying we want to go back. Um, and the energy we get from meeting other people, we didn't realize how much, how important it was in our lives. But boy, it's important and we want to go back. On the other hand, when you talk to them and say, well, how much are you going to go back? They go mm, somewhere between, you know, I'll, I'll be working remotely somewhere between two to three days a week. Now, that's that's very significant. And remember, even if that's at the lower end of the range, even if it's only one to two days a week, that's the profit margin of all those businesses that prop up offices. So it's easy to frame this in a way that it sounds like it's all about office workers, but it isn't. It's actually about, a, it has radial effects across a much broader spread of the population. And, it's, and I think governments are just beginning, I've heard conversation about this here. I think governments are just beginning to pick up on, on that issue. So... The next three years, we think, will be about prototyping what work looks like, trying to understand, you know, how we use technology better at work. Cloud is just critically important in that. Again, cloud is a key enabler of that. Uh, but also the culture that we have. How do you create culture in a hybrid environment? Human beings have always done it face-to-face -face or in groups together. But now we're going to have to figure out different ways of doing culture. I had an interesting experience just in the last week where, you know, uh, I heard about, uh, was not involved in a meeting which took place both physically, uh, some people could get together and then some people joined remotely. The side conversations that happened in the physical meeting weren't shared by the people who were remotely and actually that caused disruption afterwards. Um, and I think that kind of anecdotal story, we need to pay attention to those signals very carefully because um, they're the ones that will allow us to think hard about how do we manage this hybrid work environment. And I wonder, Michelle, if you could offer um, a view on that from the client perspective. Uh, what, what, what are CMOs thinking about the, the future of work and, and what this past year suggests for it? I think it's been uh, a year of learning and a year of, of, of change. I mean, I think um, our clients, and particularly the marketing teams, have had to respond to changing environments and changing consumer needs very, very fast. Um, and I think this, the speed and agility with which they've had to, I mean, if a business, uh, sorry, the speed and agility with which they've had to react to changing conditions. So if you take, let's say, Acosta, uh, for example, where all your shops closed and you wanted to keep your business going, well, they, they had to stand up, they had to get very creative very quickly very innovative and, and set up click and collect um, uh, very rapidly, for example. Um, what's, what it's actually done um, and being on, every, everyone at home being online, I think has actually led to um, breaking down some of the silos and the internal barriers, um, often within organisations and, and with marketing, there's a lot of siloed work that goes on. And actually, I think that the pandemic has actually levelled some of that with everybody, a lot of people working from home. 
Um, so, so I think there's some goodness coming out of it. And I think as we go forward, I think one of the realizations, and I know no we at Accenture have, have done work around this, is that office spaces may be repurposed and re-looked at to be more of collaboration spaces because people are, are realizing that when they come together, it's for collaboration. If you want to have a call, a Skype call or a Zoom call, you can do that from home. You don't need to be in an office. So I think that the hybrid sort of um, way of working uh, could well work going forward for the different needs of different businesses. But I think as Mark says, I think that there needs to be sort of ways of working and etiquette uh, which surround uh, these changes. Um, so, so I think, I mean, I, I think it's an exciting way forward and, and actually some research that we've been doing as well is that companies are going to rethink their processes and their operating models. So 74% of companies plan to completely rethink their process and operating models to be more effective and resilient post-pandemic. Uh, so that's big change um, uh, that I think we're going to to see behind uh, behind this, and a lot of that is going to have to um, be supported by uh, a technology, I would imagine, uh, to be able to uh, to deliver the change that's required to support that speed and agility. I like the etiquette word a lot, Michelle. By the way, really like that. I think that's uh, it's a marvelously old-fashioned word which now needs to be put back into general use. Yes, no, I, I think that's I think that's absolutely right. Um, there do need to be kind of rules of engagement um, that people respect, because otherwise there will be fractions. I think. Yes, that's really interesting on the way offices might shift in the future, uh, especially on the, the collaboration front. Because, I mean, I, I don't know about you, I, I find the collaboration tools uh, and software really useful, and they're great in many many ways, but they can have a tendency to be a bit transactional, and it's not just the same as bouncing ideas off people face to face. Um, and Mark, that's a really interesting point about the kind of interconnectedness of everything as well. Uh, I guess it's kind of hard to predict what the landscape's going to look like when we're not even sure what our cities are going to look like in the future or, or, or might be rethought. Um, and that kind of brings me on to my next question, which is about all this tech in the background that people might not necessarily think about. But uh, Mark, you've previously mentioned to me that the smartest enterprises have started to recognize that cloud isn't just about the technology layer or even the intelligence layer, but the experience layer right at the top level, right at the top of the stack. I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit or, or explain where you're coming from. Yeah, definitely. Um, so part of where I'm coming from is, is just trying to figure out for myself exactly what the cloud means. Um, I, you know, I, I, I find it easier to reduce stuff to fairly simple concepts. And it seems to me that a lot of what, and, and technologists may well rebut what I'm about to say, but I think would largely agree. The cloud is basically a place where you put things and you connect things together. And that's, if you like, the bottom layer. Bottom does not imply least important. It's critical. It's the foundation. And then the next layer up in this pyramid is the intelligence or data layer. And for me, what that's all about is that's where you look for patterns and where you actually connect the things to make meaning um, that you've got in your storage layer, which is the cloud. And, and then I think the top layer is the experience layer, and that's where you make use of the storage layer and the, and the, and the pattern recognition layer. And, and that's important because, you know, although obviously there are significant efficiency gains in storing stuff so you can get access to it more quickly and you can blend data together, which is, you know, a lot of what, um, a lot of what cloud has been about. 
what we're beginning to see now is cloud is the enabler. It is the creative canvas on which you can write out future experiences. And what that means, I think, is that for CMOs and others, particularly CMOs and CIOs, I think, working together, they have to look at what they're doing with cloud and have a vision of the experiences that they want to deliver out of that top layer, because that will actually affect the way in which you build the, the middle and the bottom layer. And that's why understanding the experience layer, having a vision for it and, and building out your cloud driven by that is so critical. And in terms of what the most far-sighted enterprises are doing or are planning, I, I wondered if you have any thoughts on that, Mark? You mean in terms of cloud? Yes, that's right. Um, the thing that we're beginning to talk about a lot with clients on this is that if it is true, I mean, I just used a, maybe a rather glib phrase, which is cloud as a creative canvas. Um, and, and I like it, though, because it, it kind of, we think of cloud as being a technology thing. But if we think of it as an enabler, um, I think that's, that's more enlightening in some ways. What we're also hearing is that many organizations are going to have to shift some of the culture, a lot of the culture in their employees. We've kind of got two steps here. One is to build a team, and many clients are doing this, that are, you know, can actually deliver on the cloud and build it out. And remember that best estimates are most, you know, the average of customers are 23% on the way of their journey towards actually fully implementing cloud. So we're actually still comparatively early days. Um, but the, the thing that they're thinking about is then beyond that technology team is how do you actually enable the employees across the organization to make use of the cloud? After all, we all, you know, we, we, if you, obviously not everyone does this, but you know, you drive to work, you might drive to work and, you know, you've been listening to Spotify and you might have been, you know, using uh, Google in some way or another like Gmail and, um, and you put, all, you put that tool down, the phone, and you go into work, metro, you know, metaphorically speaking, and, um, and you've been using the cloud without thinking about it. So the aim here is how do we create a culture inside organizations where employees in the next few years begin to use the cloud without thinking about it because they're just aware. It is just the thing that is there that is a backbone that and this is, I think, critical, democratizes access to data and apps and services, which allows them to innovate and work together at considerably more speed and with considerably more efficiency. I'm glad you mentioned culture and that democratization side of things. Um, I, I'm curious how people have kind of responded as individuals um, over this last year. Uh, what does it look like at the organization-wide level? Um, how are people kind of rising to the occasion over, over this, this difficult last year we've had? Michelle, would you like to go first? Um, yes, I, I think um, how are organizations rising to the challenge? Um, look, I think as, as CMOs and as marketeers, a key role is to be the voice of the consumer or the customer um, and to be able to... Uh, understand the sentiments, the trends, as Mark's been talking about, um, and have a, an integrated view of customer behavior. Now, I think one of the major challenges, um, again, from research that we have been doing, 
is that only 35% of brands actually feel that they have got an integrated view of the of customer behavior, which is quite a staggering um, uh, percentage, actually. Uh, so 65% of uh, brands don't feel they have. So, uh, and I think that when you combine that with another stat, which is a similar proportion, don't think they have the right skills and talents in their teams to make the most of the new technologies and data sets um, that are available, then there is a bit of a challenge here. So um, I think effectively what we need to make sure is we have the right technology in place to be able to have the right data to feed the insights um, that marketers need to then make swift and well-informed um, uh, recommendations and decisions into the marketplace. But you also need to make sure you've got the right talent and skills in place to be able to use that net technology. And that's one of the pieces that we've often seen within organisations. Uh, you might have one without the other, um, but the far-sighted organisations are actually doing both. They are making sure they've got the technology in place to be able to have a uh, joined-up view of 360 view of the customer um, uh, and driven through the cloud. And also they've got the right talents and skills uh, within within their teams to be able to um, uh, delve into those insights, uh, in, uh, sorry, delve into that data and gain the right insights. Yeah, a, a buzzword that I kind of hate uh, is omni-channel. But um, I feel that as we come out of this, it's I feel like we're almost at that tipping point where we're actually going to get omni-channel experiences and that convergence of physical and digital spaces. Um, obviously, this last year has been really difficult for uh, creating and managing experiences to the consumer when it's all been digital and online. Uh, but I'm wondering what that's going to start to look like as we come out of these restrictions. Uh, Michelle, I wondered if you had any thoughts on that first. So I think um, in terms of the physical and digital, I mean, I think obviously what we've seen is a massive drive towards digitalization, and um, we've all been living online. I think people, uh, clients, CMOs, marketers have been working very hard to stand up a, a decent experience um, online. Um, some, have, some have done well and some have really struggled with that. Um, but I think, especially when you're buying um, higher price products, whether it's a car or luxury goods, I think that physical um, experience, being able to touch and see the product and to actually experience firsthand is, is, is really critical. Um, so I think, I think what we'll see is um, an improvement of what's happening online um, but I still think that there is a, a real need for the physical experience uh, to be immersive um, as well and supporting so that those two experiences work hand in hand. Um, one, one, one company who I, I, I happen to come across who have done an amazing job at going um, online was, was actually standard chairlifts of all companies. Um, so a very sort of a physical experience and something that is kind of very emotional when you get to that stage of life. And actually what they have done is, is brilliant research and understanding of their consumers. And then they have stood up an amazing experience online and they have had transformational results on the back of it. Um, so some people are sort of getting 
that sort of online digital experience absolutely spot on. Now, it'd be interesting to see what they do when you can actually go back into store again. Um, but I, I do think you're going to have to work very hard on this on this hybrid piece. Yeah, I think that's completely right, Michelle. I think, again, the hybrid word is, you know, seems to be becoming the word of the year, actually. Um, you know, we talked about it already with with the future of work and, and now that's you know, the future of of, of of consumer experience, I think, is also hybrid. A, a wonderful example, I think, is what the London Marathon are doing. Um, so, of course, if you track back, um, they had to cancel last April. Um, then they had to, they realised they weren't going to be able to do this April. So they shifted the entire event to um, October this year. And what they're doing based on some learning, because they did do this last year a bit, but they didn't do anything like this scale, is they're now targeting 100,000 runners. Now, if you know anything about marathons, that is, I think, world-breaking. Um, that's the biggest mass participation, at least mainstream marathon you can think of. And they're doing that by talking about 50,000 on the ground in London, which would, you know, fingers crossed, will go ahead. And it would still in itself be a record, I think. But 50,000 joining virtually using Strava and RunKeeper and, you know, all of the running apps, uh, presumably from anywhere in the world. Um, and I think that's a marvellous example of an organisation seizing um, this new hybrid way of doing things um, and understanding that both experiences have their place for consumers. And I think that's a critical thing. Um, I also think that a lot of what we've seen over the last year has been the development of a sense of digital has been doing some interesting stuff. It, it, it's not a thing, of course. <clears throat> We've been doing interesting stuff with digital. And two sort of mini trends in there are, I think, important. One is the trend towards place. So increasingly, place on digital is becoming important. And, and I think that Peloton and um, Zwift, the cycling app, um, are both really good examples. And, of course, Roblox in a gaming world um, are all examples of uh, people who are doing incredibly well out of creating a sense of place that you go to. Um, and although, of course, I'm sure lots of people with Peloton machines will go back somewhat to gyms, I don't think having made that investment in machinery and mental investment in place, that they're going to go back as much as they did before. Um, and so I think what you're seeing is digital beginning to mimic in some ways some of the realities of the real world another one way in which it's doing that is live in inverted commas so that i think is at the core of clubhouse uh, and more recently my own favorite recently um, a new app called station head which allows anybody to create their own radio station um, through the app which of course uh, well to me at least sounds like a joyous idea that i can inflict my musical taste on you know um on the very few people who would listen but the point is it's live so live and place are both happening in digital. So it's not like we're in a static environment here. Just as we begin to go back outdoors, hopefully we will. And, and you know, things like the Indian variant aren't going to savage that too much. Although, of course, what's happening in India is a whole other world. And, you know, we should acknowledge that. Um, I think as we begin to go out, I think people will be looking for the experiences, the sensory experiences uh, that Michelle was talking about in retail but I think equally at the same time a lot of what we're doing on digital will continue to evolve and compete with the real world for our attention.
Mm -hmm. On that word hybrid, though, um, it's got me thinking change can always be difficult, uh, especially in strange, strange circumstances like we've, we've had. How about managing that change from an organisational point of view? What's important to hold front and centre as things do change and get disrupted further? And how are customers responding to this as well on the consumer front? Well, I think, Michelle, I'd be keen to know, you know, from the, your, your, your CMO perspective, what you think on this. But I think... Um, organizations more than I've ever seen in my entire working life now need to spend more time and energy studying what's happening with consumers and how their views um, are changing. We, we, we are in an unstable period and it is tempting because we want to be optimistic to talk about a post-pandemic world. But the reality is that, you know, things like the variants introduce uh, a lack of certainty and a lack of confidence into life. We're hearing a bit of a kind of um, divergence here insofar as consumers are expressing confidence about the future. The economy is looking rosier. I, I, obviously, I'm not talking about all countries here at all. Um, and, and, you know, the sun is out in the northern hemisphere and they can begin to get out of doors in places where the lockdown is easing a bit. Um, but then when you actually really look at the consumers and talk to them, there is a bundle of things that they are now beginning to think about much harder when they're purchasing things beyond price and quality. And that bundle of things, when you put them together, those factors actually ladder up to confidence because our confidence has been knocked a lot in the last year. So we want to be confident about the future, but actually at a granular level, we, are, we want confidence in the things that we're going to buy. And I think organizations need to adapt massively and quickly to understanding those new confidence factors and delivering on them um, and, 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 and to study consumers. <clears throat> because let's say, for example, that the, you know, the Indian variant um, does spread. Um, we were hearing, hearing, I was hearing about it today on the news. Um, Let's say that that does spread or another variant rises. And, you know, we've had several across the world which have reaped a lot of dam terrible damage. That will, I think, and, and let's say that, you know, as some variants of lockdown reappears, that I think will, um, will shift consumer mindsets again. And so I think being on top of the pulse of the consumer is the single most important thing businesses can do. Uh, but Michelle, sorry, I've, I've witted on a long time about that. Over to you. I couldn't agree with you more, Mark. Um, I think um, keeping the pulse of what consumer behaviour and sentiment is, is absolutely vital to the success of businesses at the moment. And I think we have, um, we've seen examples, I think, through this past year about where companies have done things right and where they've got things wrong. Um, so I think um, people are looking at every aspect of what a business does now. And they're looking at how they treat their employees, how they treat their suppliers, how they treat their customers. Um, is it fair and are they responding quickly and sensitively to changing social needs? Um, and we have done quite a bit of research uh, in this area. Um, and Karmarama have been doing uh, a UOK research. And in this, uh, I think this is one of the latest pieces, they found that online conversations between consumers um, 
uh, uh, talking about brands and whether or not they're deserving of their money are up 60% compared to pre-COVID levels. So consumers, there's a completely different decision-making sort of set of factors that they are that they're considering as they as they make their decisions. Sorry, that was a bit clumsy. Um, and I think, I mean, things that came to the fore for me during the pandemic were uh, Brian Chesky, for example, at Airbnb. He made 1,900 people redundant uh, via, uh, well, obviously uh, kind of did it, did it internally, but sent a, a letter to all employees. Now that letter is being held up as a sort of business case example of leadership in crisis. It, it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliantly written. Um, and the sentiment behind it was very authentic and sincere. Now, we've seen other, other leaders who have not been quite so elegant um, in their handling of situations. Um, for example, sort of very wealthy personal uh, leaders who have um, been asking for government funding to help their businesses stay afloat um, while sitting on private islands. Um, it has not gone down, down well with, with consumers and customers. So I think there's a whole different set of factors uh, as a brand and as a marketeer that you need to consider going forward on their purchasing decisions. And the role of purpose is becoming a really important factor for businesses. Um, and it's at their peril that they don't take account of that now. That's so true, Michelle. And, and it actually twins with the fact that what we're seeing is 50% of people are <clears throat> saying that they've used the opportunity of the COVID or perhaps been forced by it to reimagine who they are. Um, so they're rethinking their purpose and they're looking at organisations and expecting the same. I think we've all done that individually as well, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So true. <laughs> we've all, all had to take a step back on this one. So I completely agree. So I'd like to close on a longer term view. What's next and what role do we expect cloud to play in the coming years, uh, given, given everything we've, we've just talked about? Um, Michelle, on the, on the client side, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And Mark, uh, any, any trends that you think are going to begin to emerge in the coming years? I'd love to hear them. So from data, what we're seeing is that many, many companies and on average 20 to 40 percent of their workload is, uh, is in the cloud. Now, that is actually quite a small percentage when we're talking about being able to deliver joined up, seamless customer experiences. Um, that is what our uh, consumers are now demanding. And the issue behind that is often that the technology uh, stacks, they may have some, but not all, to actually be able to provide that joined up data. Um, that then will feed the insights that will then feed the um, the experience and the personalization again that's required. So I think that um, there, there will be a huge drive towards um, migrating the majority of workloads to the cloud um, and, and companies will not realize their full value um, to make their business more efficient, more resilient, more customer focused if they're not doing this. So I think there's a major drive um, that companies need to, to do to uh, get themselves into the cloud. Now, I will say that when you talk to CMOs, largely they, they don't talk about the cloud per se, but what they are talking about is um, powered by the cloud. 
so um, the technology, the data, uh, the insight. So again, I think we just need to be careful about the language that we use in, in, uh, with certain different audiences within business. But I'm very interested to know what um, Mark's view on this is. I think, so there's, there's, I'm going to try and answer the question in two ways. I'll start bouncing off Michelle and then, and then I'll come back to a sort of consumer observation. So, so looking from the enterprise perspective, I think that um, what we're seeing already is that companies who have customer-obsessed experience leaders are on average twice as likely to have customer data fully integrated across functions, you know, ranging from front office to operations, finance, everywhere. And they're twice as likely to have robust and transparent operating models for data governance and to build systems around a single end-to-end view of the customer. So integrated, transparent, intelligent, real-time. And we've actually got quite a lot of evidence that companies that are doing those things are performing up to six times better over um, a period of time than, than their rivals who are not so focused on these things. So if you want a trend about where this is going, I think that backs what Michelle was saying and points to the, you know, the importance of um, connecting the enterprise with the customer focus. At a consumer level, I think that short term, the word belonging is enormously important. And we need to be thinking about how are we bringing belonging and confidence to customers because they will be looking for that. I think in the slightly longer term, I'm talking three to five years now, rather than maybe one to two, I think the single most important factor that will influence what we are doing will be sustainability. Um, and I, I literally am absolutely no doubt about that at all. I think it will dominate the conversation and dominate our thinking within five years. And COP26 this year in Glasgow will probably be a major turning point uh, which shifts us in that direction. And the challenge for businesses will be, and again, the cloud has some role to play in this in terms of uh, shifting the way in which we manage and execute supply chains, the way in which we measure <clears throat> how sustainable we are, the way in which we make things transparent. I think that um, the, the, it's not, I'm not arguing that consumers are banging on the door of organizations and saying, we demand that you go green now. To some extent, they are, and there is definitely a rising tide of opinion. Actually, what we're seeing is that enterprises themselves, in some cases forced to by government legislation and action, seeing that in the UK and the US, are beginning to, they themselves have reached a psychological turning point. Their employees are pushing them. And in some anecdotal cases, many, the children of CEOs are pushing them too. And so I think where we will, where we will go rapidly are going is a place where enterprises actually increasingly realize they have to um, lead the way and lead their consumers somewhere new. That gives us lots of scope for innovation. It's a place that will be enabled by cloud, but it will be the most critical thing on the agenda, I think, in three to five years. I think that's a lovely place to close on. Uh, that was a really interesting, insightful conversation. So, so thank you both so much for your time and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Don't forget to check out the other episodes to learn more about how cloud is transforming industries. And if you want to learn more about the Fjord Trends reports, you can visit accenture.com forward slash Fjord Trends 2021.